I'd like to start changing the manner in which people go about a divorce. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Check us out online at couplesynergy.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couples Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences with working with thousands of couples for over 15 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we've not only created an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guest, Larry Masana, Manasa. Manasa. I'm sorry, it's I okay. butchered the last name there. Yeah, you know, it. it everyone butchers my name. <laughs> I didn't even try my entire life. So. <laughs> Dr. Ray, Reverend Jean, I don't have to go there. <laughs> right. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Really, really appreciate you coming in and You're talking welcome. about an area of expertise that you have, right? Why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do for a living? So I am an attorney and a founding partner and managing partner of a law firm in Barrington, Illinois, that focuses exclusively on family law. That's awesome. How long have you been doing that? I've been practicing law for 30 years, the first five of them as a prosecutor in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and the other 25 focusing on family law. That is awesome. That's a great resume there. <laughs> <laughs> I am really excited to see what comes out of this. Absolutely. And, and today we're talking about the, the topic of divorce, mm -hmm. right, specifically. And, you know, as I mentioned, Larry can give some expert opinions on this, you know, coming from, from his side. And we'll kind of throw in some of the things that we know from, from our side and working with couples. So, Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with divorce, both professionally and, and maybe personally, too? Yeah, I'll be happy to give you both. First off, I'm the product of divorce. My parents got divorced when I was around six years old. It was a pretty nasty divorce. And so I, I, I got the repercussions of the hostility between the two, mm -hmm. as my brother did as well. And so I know what effect it can have on children. And I know, understand that depending on the way that parties handle their divorce it will have a great deal to do with how well their children come out of the divorce itself. I'm also divorced myself, and so I've made those mistakes myself as well. Hopefully, I've learned some lessons, um, both by my own experiences as well as seeing other people's experiences over the last 25 years. And what prompted you to kind of go into the field of law and specifically to work with couples going through divorce and family law, etc.? So those are, those are good questions. Uh, 
I, I'd like to say to you, yes, I knew that I wanted to go into law from day one and, and, and it was going to be family law, but it wouldn't be true. My undergraduate degree was in psychology. I was on the fence of whether to go to graduate school in psychology okay. or whether to go into the law. Got a little bit of a push, maybe a kick from um, parents saying that that's, that's where they would like to see me go. And I followed that direction. I've always really been uh, very interested in what makes people tick. I mean, what are the things that make us who we are? And that's the core of psychology. But in mm -hmm. some ways, it's the core of the law as well, because the law is really just a representation of our values. And the law changes as our values change. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One, one of the patterns we've noticed in our practice is that couples will come in for help, typically when they're adjusting to becoming parents. And then adjusting to when the kids leave the house. Are you seeing similar patterns of when people are filing for divorce? I haven't seen very many people come into the office early on in the marriage when they just started having children. Mm -hmm. I've seen a different mistake that may go along with that, which is the fallacy that having more children or having children might make the relationship that's struggling better mm -hmm. instead of more complicated and more difficult. Mm -hmm. One's time is divided more than it would be if there weren't children involved. And so obviously it, it's commonsensical, but it, unfortunately it's not sensical to everybody that is, that is in that situation that the relationship has to be made strong before you can bring somebody else involved. Mm -hmm. That's one of the warnings I give you know, the women I work with. It, once they decide that they're going to end a relationship, I'm like, do not get pregnant. They always have that last little fling, and it does happen. I've seen it a lot, too. Yeah, yeah, that's really unfortunate, but I, yes, mm -hmm. I, I have as well. I, I know you haven't asked the question at this point, <laughs> but I know that we've talked a lot before this podcast. And I guess one thing that I wanted to get across more than anything, probably the reason why we've had as many discussions as we have and the reason that I support what you're doing so much is that up until now, I think that the whole field of marital breakdown and divorce has been looking at a lot of this backwards. You have people that I see in my office and have for the last 25 years that are at their most upset, usually overwhelmed, anxiety-ridden, oftentimes angry and resentful, fearful for sure. And they go see a divorce attorney looking for a solution to those things. And I think if, if you can get people away from where they're at and say, okay, forget the divorce end of this for a second. If I were to say to you that you have to make a major decision in your life, would you like to make that major decision in your life when you're anxiety filled and scared and overwhelmed mm -hmm. and resentful and, and maybe angry? Or would you think that maybe getting to a point of, of healness, of being healed and being at a more grounded place would be a good idea before making that life decision? Mm -hmm. I don't think that there would be much hesitation for anybody before they answered the question. Right, right. Yeah. You know, the, the research shows that couples wait a minimum of six years before they actually seek outside help. And so many times that's what we're seeing, couples coming through the door and they've waited a very long time. They've gotten entrenched in some really, you know, bad habits in communication. I, I was wondering, you know, when you are seeing couples walk through the door and looking to get a divorce, 
how long has has it been going on? You know, the problems and the turmoil before they actually made a decision to come in and do that? Well, although it depends on the couple, I'd say the vast majority of the time, it's at least that six years that, that you yeah. mentioned. What, what I think happens is that, well, I guess first off, I, I've never been to a wedding and I don't think too many of us have where the two people didn't love each other. <laughs> so it, it wasn't that they were lacking the love. Mm-hmm. It, it's more to do with the, our own issues a lot of that stuff that we, that baggage that we get over the course of our lives, oftentimes starting in childhood and then going forward. And unless we have that healing without us knowing it and unintentionally, we start damaging the relationship. And oftentimes, since both sides are human, they're both participating in that damage. And then slowly but surely, without, again, us being conscious of it, you see that that damage and that distancing and the more damage, the more people are self-protective and distance the more. And I think you finally get to a point where the, the couple looks at each other and they said, I remember when we were together on the road, but it just seems so long ago that I'm not even sure how to get back there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so catching it early and, and teaching people about their own role in making a marriage work and preventing divorce, it's critical. Right. That, that concept of their own role you know, we've never seen a couple where it wasn't 50-50. They're both contributing to how they do that dance. And, you know, we have had the privilege of marrying a few people and we will have them come in and learn what they need to learn of how to work on a marriage. And I know you have some statistics there about how like religion plays a part, but I think also most, if they're a very religious person, they're also going to do premarital pre-Cana, whatever the different religions offer. And, and it, it kind of like sets them up a little bit better than just trying to... No, I think that's true. I, the, the studies that we had talked about mm-hmm. before that I think you're alluding to... Yeah, that, you can, why don't you just say what those statistics are? Well, the divorce rate until somewhat recently for a long time was hovering around 50% of marriages resulted in divorce. And that included all marriages, first marriages and second and third marriages as well. They were higher at second and third, but mm-hmm. it brought the statistic up to 50%. There has been a trend going the right direction that divorce rates are now closer to 45%. Divorce rates in millennials, I guess, individuals that would find themselves as young adults uh, early in the 2000s, is down 20%. I think there may be some reasons for that, that less of those millennials are getting married and less of them that are getting married are getting married as young. Mm-hmm. So they're more established and probably have better footing before they dive into the marriage. And yes, there's some statistics relative to one's faith walk that I think, again, are encouraging. The, the one I'd heard for the longest time that is a bit discouraging was people that self-identified themselves as Christian did not have any significantly different rate of divorce than others. I think that possibly the issue was those that self-identified instead of enough questions to elicit enough information to know what that person's faith walk was. Because the more recent studies that dived into that issue deeper have found that people that are very integrated in their faith and their behavior patterns are really affected by their faith, have a strong reduction in the divorce rate 
for Protestant couples around 35% less. Mm -hmm. Uh, For Catholic couples, very similar. For Jewish couples, even higher than that. Mm -hmm. I, I think someone's faith walk, when it's really their faith walk, has a tremendous difference. There's one study I also saw more recently by the National Association of Marriage Enhancement, and I do not know if there was a study bias or not because it's such a bit different number, but even if there is, I think it's still an encouragement. And, and that is, is that couples that pray together on a daily basis, and I would say that that would be somebody that's really well integrated in their faith walk, the divorce rate was right around 1%. Mm. Did you see any statistics for couples who had different spiritual beliefs? I did not. I, those studies probably do exist. Yeah. And so it's, it's something that I'm interested in, in taking a look mm-hmm. at, but no, I don't know offhand what those are. Yeah, that would be interesting to, I, I to would, see what those numbers would be. I would think that it's a bit more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I kind of relate it to like blended family issues, except right. this is a blended right. religion issue. Mm-hmm. So the more complicated the dynamic is, I would expect to see mm-hmm. that the rate would be higher because it would be more challenging, but I don't know that mm-hmm. to be the case. Yeah, you know, some of the research on our, our side you know, kind of supports everything that you're talking about here and that common spirituality between a couple is a very powerful factor in, in staying together and having a, a happy and satisfied marriage. And, and I would say the praying together daily would mean they're connecting daily. And we see that that's probably the number one reason we see couples come in is they're disconnected. They are living separate lives. They don't spend any time together, especially without the kids. And so if they're praying together, at least they're, they're hitting that connection point at least once a day. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think maybe there's even one more element there. You guys are the experts on this, so you'll tell me whether you believe this to be true. But it, it would be at least my opinion. There's something else about prayer and, and the posture of prayer, which understands where we stand in relation to God. And so it's a humbling process. And so I think humility itself allows people to self-reflect and to be self-aware and to be teachable and open. And I would think that that would have a dramatic effect on one's ability to work through issues and to make relationships work. Absolutely. And I think also to be compassionate. And to be compassionate. I would agree with that as well. Do you think this is a factor of the little bit lower of the divorce rate is we we have couples that can't afford to get divorced? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm not. I don't know if it's as much right now as it was right after the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, end of 2007, 2008, and all the way through at least 2010 and 11, maybe even later than that. Um, a lot of marriages financially could not afford to get divorced because they couldn't afford to live in two different homes right. mm-hmm. and they weren't able to sell theirs. And so they had relational breakdown under the same roof. I'm not necessarily a proponent of that either. And I know you guys aren't, but yes, it was taking place and it was taking place on a regular basis. It's a, it's a big mess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how much is an average divorce cost? It's another study I, never, I didn't look up, but I can tell you that I think it all depends on how they go about the divorce. And so this is going to be more complicated than I think that you intended, but I want to be as thorough as possible. I think a lot depends on the party's emotional state and where they're at in the process as they enter the process. I think that if somebody is, as I first said, full of anxiety and fear and anger and resentment and hurt, 
and they go into a divorce process thinking that somehow it's going to be cathartic to do damage to the other side. They're going to, one, discover it's not cathartic. Two, they're going to discover it's cyclic and it comes back on them. And three, it's going to be financially and emotionally devastating. Mm -hmm. So very expensive, both financially and emotionally. That's really awesome that you just said that. That's really good. I, I think that for the people that are taking ownership of where they're at emotionally as the marriage, as the marital breakdown has taken place and seek help early in the process and, and through therapy, through the spending their time and energy and money in the right direction, approach a divorce at a time that they could make a good decision for themselves. And it, it's not mixed up with a lot of the, uh, the emotional energy and, and, and they're thinking in the rational brain and, and not in the old brain amygdala, mm-hmm. um, then I think that it becomes much less expensive, again, emotionally and financially. Mm-hmm. I say with my clients a lot when we talk about the cost of things, I always bring up it's not just the financial cost because you can get over that. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. It's the emotional cost that can take decades and sometimes never go away. There's also... There's the, the traditional approach to divorce, which is litigation. There is a trend towards more and more toward, towards alternative dispute resolution models, mainly mediation and collaborative divorce. I think for most couples, the alternative dispute, dispute resolution models are the better approach. The, the litigation model, and, and my, my office for years has gotten a lot of heavy-duty litigation because of my trial background, but as they sit with me and we talk about the best way to, to move forward, I, I do my best to talk people out of the litigation model whenever possible. The litigation model, the theory behind it is that it's an adversarial model. I mean, that's the way it's set mm-hmm, up. Right. And, so, and it's not that destructive for certain areas of the law. But when you take broken families and broken relationships of that broken family... Mm-hmm. And you say, okay, to move you forward, to get you where you feel like you need to go, or maybe where you really have to go, but let's do that through an adversarial model. <laughs> I, I think we just have to take a step back mm-hmm. and say, why? Especially couples who are already adversarial. Absolutely. Right? You put them in the arena then. And, and then the attorneys, yes, there's some attorneys out there that will fan flames on purpose. Mm-hmm. And they, they need to be avoided. Yeah. And, and I always tell people to ask around, mm-hmm. ask their friends, ask their family members, ask their counselors, ask professionals and, and, and get solid recommendations. But I will say that there's a segment that even if the attorney isn't trying to fan the flames, one of the attorney's jobs is to protect the interest of their clients. Mm-hmm. And so if it's an adversarial arena and the attorney is supposed to pay attention to the what ifs, not the things that are most likely to happen only, but the things that could happen. So because of that, it's the attorneys asking questions, the right questions in a litigation arena, but the questions about the forensic analysis of what happened to the money after it was earned and, and how was it spent and was it spent properly? And do you really know how that was done for the last three years? And usually the production requests, the, the standard production request goes back three years. Do you know how all the assets are held and how the money has been spent? And so the, in an effort to protect our clients, I think distrust that people go into divorce with has to get 
amplified some. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. these alternative dispute resolution models are very different when it comes to that core issue. And because of that, I think they're much healthier. Can I talk about those for a moment? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So mediation is the one that I think is most known to people. And I think mediation has some advantages, but I think there's still some disadvantages to it as well. Mediation, the advantage is, is that when an agreement is reached in mediation, it's the party's own agreement and people are much more acceptant of an agreement that they had their hands on, that they had something to do with the formation of and they have a much stronger tendency to follow it as well. So they feel better about it and they, and they have a tendency to follow it better. All of that's wonderful. The negative is that because mediators are neutrals, they can't give legal advice to anybody. Mm-hmm. And when they're, even if it's a successful mediation and not being able to give some legal advice does make it a little bit less likely to be successful, but even if it is successful... Mediators have to prepare a document called a memorandum of understanding. A memorandum of understanding is not a document that a court will take for a divorce decree. So ultimately, even if the mediation was successful, the parties would need to engage attorneys. Mm. I think because it can't be enforced. Well, right, because the attorneys would have to draft a marital settlement agreement, which Mm -hmm. is the legally accepted document that would be incorporated in the divorce judgment. And if they have children, a separate document as well, Mm -hmm. which is now called an allocation of parenting time and parenting responsibilities, what used to be called a parenting agreement, joint parenting agreement or Mm -hmm. sole parenting agreement. There's a recent change in the law and the word custody has been done away with. So it's Mm -hmm. now a mouthful. It's allocation of parenting (laughs) time and parenting responsibilities. The alternative dispute resolution model that I think most highly of and that I recommend to people I think has all of the advantages of mediation, but not the disadvantages of mediation. And that's called collaborative law. Mm. The collaborative law approach like mediation is outside court. There's a statistic and the statistic court wise is that 3% of cases go to trial. That means 97% get settled. And yet they're in an adversarial arena before that gets settled. Well, if 97% get settled, and we can avoid that adversarial arena. Why don't we? Right. And so the collaborative model takes attorneys that are trained both in mediation, because all collaboratively trained attorneys have to go through at least the 40 hours of mediation training that's required for mediators. And most will have the continuing legal education on a yearly basis. And then separate and aside from that training in collaborative law itself, collaborative law is basically having attorneys wear two different hats and both would have attorneys, but the two hats would be one is an advocacy hat for the client, but the other hat is to work together with the other attorney and the parties as problem solvers Mm -hmm. to try to meet the needs and interests of the family unit and of the parties themselves. So it starts with a commitment towards Full disclosure and, and honest disclosure. If anybody wants any document, it's the commitment level is it will be provided. There's also commitment that nobody files anything in court until there's a full agreement reached. Mm. And only then, because our system hasn't come up with a mechanism yet to get divorced without something being filed. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the case, someone has to file a divorce petition. But even in a even in a collaborative case or a mediated mediated case, however, 
if there's a full agreement already reached, you only need one court date, and that's mm-hmm. the court date to actually get divorced. Therefore, the the concerns about putting people in the adversarial system is avoided mm-hmm. because they're not throwing allegations at each other in the form of pleadings and motions. They're only getting divorced on the prove update. You know, you know, I'm glad that you said both would have a collaborative attorney because I think there's a misunderstanding that collaborative divorce is done by one attorney, right? Yes, there's that misunderstanding. <laughs> I've had so many people talk to me about that. So clients will come in, right. as you just suggested, and they'll say, yeah, I want to do this collaboratively and you can represent both of us, can't you? <laughs> Let me address both of those things if yes. I can. One, that's not the collaborative approach. Mm-hmm. The collaborative approach is having both parties have legal representation who can give them a correct assessment of what the law says so that they're equipped better to enter the process. And again, there is an advocacy hat that they are wearing. And yet, again, both attorneys trained in collaboration and trained in facilitation, mediation, they can effectively work together. In fact, oftentimes people that are in the collaborative approach will want to use teams, collaborative teams. And the team is the two collaboratively trained attorneys Sometimes divorce coaches, which are generally therapists, financial neutrals when necessary can be added to it as well. But it's, a, it's professionals that work well together, that are successful together because the dynamic between the collaborative team is important. Mm-hmm, if it's we a well-functioning right. team, mm-hmm. they're going to get you where you want to go and they're going to get you where you want to go more efficiently and more constructively. And so, yes, a collaborative case requires both attorneys. When People come in and say, I want to do this collaboratively. Can't one attorney do it? What they really mean is I think that person and their spouse believe that they can reach an agreement themselves mm-hmm. or maybe themselves with a little bit of guidance. Right. And the non-technical word for that is kitchen table divorce. <laughs> so, Or yes. online divorce. <laughs> well, but... But kitchen we, table divorce is okay. We've seen several of those, and you know, it's couples that have come to us. It did lead to them deciding that divorce was best for them, and but it was mutual, yeah. right? I and mean, they, they got, would they would yeah. get their yellow pad out and draw a line and divvy it up, and they they would use one attorney and say, "This is what we want." One is obviously giving up representation. When we have when I have a client, I don't know I don't know what you do because this is separate when we're talking about divorce with our clients. If someone is talking about collaborative. I will recommend that they go with their partner just so there's a good trust foundation and it doesn't feel like, oh, you saw a lawyer. So you can tell me if that's right or not. And also, I will say, if you did not have a collaborative marriage, you are not going to have a collaborative divorce. I think your second statement is really wise. (laughs) They're they're just not going to be well suited for it. They're not going to be in a position... Again, maybe unless they took a long enough time out before they entered the divorce process to do their own work. Mm -hmm. But usually that isn't the case and they wouldn't be open to it if you Mm -hmm. were correct and they didn't have a collaborative marriage. And both mediation and collaborative divorce are generally considered inappropriate if there's domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So that can also be a a major Mm -hmm. um, deterrent. But as far as kitchen table divorce is concerned, I, I didn't say it in a, in, a, in a means of putting it down. I think that if parties can come to an agreement, 
you know, constructive way, I'm all for that. I think it's in their best interest to do so. If they don't need two collaboratively trained attorneys to reach a full resolution, they have a full agreement on everything or almost everything, then it is true that one attorney by representing one party can facilitate that divorce by drafting the agreements. And although in those situations, I would always advise the person that I've met with that they shouldn't be the one that goes without an attorney, because I do believe that legal advice is important. If the other individual decides they're comfortable enough with the uh, approach and that they're comfortable enough knowing that there's an agreement on almost everything, if not everything. I, I've, I've taken those cases and completed those cases on a regular basis. I do have the individual that I am not representing sign a waiver. It's just a form that indicates that they understand because I think that understanding is critical mm -hmm. that one attorney can't represent both parties and that I would not be representing them but they're still willing to engage in the negotiations in order to try to reach a, a full resolution. And when people come with that situation, I have found the vast majority have been able to reach a full resolution. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have a client who kind of checks all those boxes of that, that first case scenario you were talking about, the adversarial couple and, you know, and it's, it's dragging out to about three years now. And probably topping out at the highest I've ever heard is about 800 grand, right? Which is amazing. And, you know, they have a child that they're kind of, you know, struggling with in between. You know, when, when it gets to that point and you see that, that client, you know, sitting across your table there, what, what type of advice, you know, would you give someone like that? I mean, because one thing he's told me is that, you know, all attorneys, they're all the same. Hmm. He's gone through three or four, I think. One, I hope you know at this point that we're not all the same. Right. <laughs> uh, and two, I think maybe it's clear by the answers that I've given so far that our approach is very different. Mm -hmm. Once I'm sitting, if I am sitting at the other end of a table from somebody that's four years in or three years in and $800,000 in, my heart is broken for them already. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I wish that I would have spoken to them much earlier. Because mm -hmm. one thing I can guarantee you that no matter how close they are to the finish line, when they get to the finish line, they're going to wish they would have done it differently. Yeah. yeah. Because no one's going to feel satisfied with the process of what they just went through $800,000 later or $50,000 later or $100,000 later mm -hmm. and a year or two, three years later in an adversarial arena for that long. Right. Because they can't help but be further destroyed by it. Not just financially, I keep mm -hmm. saying that, not just financially, $800,000 is a lot of money. Right. The emotional damage will probably be greater than that even. And yeah. so- Absolutely, it so, already is. Right. So the, the approach that my firm has been taking, and I, I think the reason that both of you and, and I started having these conversations is that I'd like to start changing the manner in which people go about a divorce. If people can slow down a bit and realize that going to see the lawyer when they're in an emotionally charged, anxious, sad, scared, overwhelmed place, things aren't going to go as well as if they spent that time 
with their counselor, processing through their end of all of this Mm -hmm. and getting some healing. And once they got to a point of healing and could make a really good educated decision about whether it is appropriate for them to end their marriage, if they decide that it is, that process doesn't look anything like that guy that sat at the other end of the table with Mm -hmm. you. And so unfortunately, I think up until now, attorneys have... And again, their their heart may be completely in the right place, but they've tried to get the client's needs to fit what they do mm. and get it to, to mold into what they are already doing, what the attorney is already doing, which is legal work. Right. Instead of themselves taking a pause and saying honestly to the client, maybe divorce is in your future. It may very well be. But... If you go through divorce right now, this is what I see for you. Mm. And I think they'll see it for themselves as well. But if you spend a little bit more time with your counselor, with a support group, there's a lot of good workshops out there to be, to work through their part of the marital breakdown, to get to a healthier, more Mm -hmm. healed place. To prepare themselves. To prepare themselves, Mm -hmm. right. Prepare themselves for the life decision of ending the marriage Mm -hmm. and then also for the life after the marriage is ended. And so the more preparation we do, the better. And to think that we should do this all without preparation, we don't do anything in life without preparation. So something getting married, right? So something this significant Mm -hmm. to just run into, you know, just hundred miles an hour, it, it's just not as wise as as the approach that that I'm suggesting, which is mm-hmm. that there's a there's a place for attorneys, and uh, attorneys with with hearts to help can really help. Mm-hmm. But if they have a real heart to help, they're going to want the process to be in the right order. Right. And right. so the attorneys in my office, there's four of us that focus exclusively on family law. Each of us has a degree in psychology. Each of us understands, because I hire for that, the effect of divorce on our clients. And I I hire for compassion, not just ability, but for compassion and ability. I think we're doing our clients a disservice if we don't slow down the process enough to strongly advocate that that they make use of the help that's out there. And then when it gets to a point where were that next step, we could really help and help mm-hmm. much better than we could if they came to us before they were ready. I think that's a really, really important approach, you know, kind of looking at, you know, life beyond the finish line. You know, one thing we tell our couples is that regardless, especially the ones with children, regardless of whether you guys stay married or not, you still have to have a relationship with each other, right? So you are locked together. You have to figure out how to communicate you have to figure out how to work with each other and at least be friends with each other for the sake of the children. Sure. Yeah. And if you can't co-parent effectively when you're married, you're going to expect that you're going to be able to co-parent very effectively when you're divorced. No, absolutely and not. So again, just more reasons to do your own work. Um, I know therapists such as yourself have the outlook that you know the only person that we can fix and we need help to do that is ourselves. So you know, pointing to the other person and saying, you know, they did this and they did that and they may have done both of those things. Mm -hmm. But the only person that we can help make better 
is ourself and it, and it takes uh, humility and it takes dedication and energy and emotional willingness and openness. And I think the more that you see that, the healthier these the parties are as they approach the divorce process, I think two things take place. I think marriages are saved. And I think that when the marriages aren't saved, people are saved. Mm. That's very powerful. Do you find that the people you're working for will use you as a therapist and not just as legal counsel, but emotional counsel as well? So I think you know the answer before I even answer it. So (laughs) yes, they try to. And I'm honest about what I am and what I'm not. I'm compassionate. I've been through it. I can walk with somebody through the process, but I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained as a therapist. I believe in using experts for their area of expertise. I strongly suggest to every single person who walks in my door, if you don't already have a therapist, get a therapist. They are going to be your lifeline during this traumatic period of time in your life more than anybody else. Right. And save a lot more money. Yes. When they talk to you, it's much more expensive. And there's also workshops and support groups. There's Mm -hmm. divorce support groups and a lot of churches. There's some, but less that are secular based, but take advantage of the resources that are out there because they're out there for a reason. I think we're all responsible for taking care of ourselves. And some of that is to take the steps to, to make the phone call, Mm -hmm. to go to the meeting, to, to see your therapist, to maybe see your therapist more than once a week for a while if you need to, mm-hmm. but to do all the things that you need to do to get where you want to go. Do, do you notice a pattern of length of time that it takes for someone to go through divorce? Is there like, it seems to me like I've seen people do it in like two months, which I think is really quick, and then like a year, and then like this really long, really drawn out thing. thing. Is, that, is that common? Yeah, I think that's probably pretty close. I would hazard a guess that maybe the reasons are the ones that are really long haven't done any of their own work or much of their own work. Mm -hmm. And they dived into the process of litigation somewhat with blinders on, not realizing what effect that is going to have and didn't realize the effect until, for lack of a better word, it was too late. And they were so involved already and so damaged by the adversarial process, again, throwing allegations at each other in the form of motions and pleadings, that so much undoing has to happen before they even get to the place they were at before they entered the process. The people that want to get divorced uh, in a couple months, I think that could be either two types. One, they just don't have much of a marital estate and they may not be any more ready emotionally for the divorce than the person we just spoke of, that type of scenario. But there isn't anything to fight about. But they're determined. They need out and they need out now. And so the divorce goes very quickly. It hasn't had the financial ramifications, the the financial destruction that that other scenario does. Mm -hmm. But it may have an emotional destruction because if somebody enters a divorce process when they're not emotionally ready, Because if they're feeling like I need to get divorced tomorrow, I just can't take this anymore. That's screaming that they need to slow it down Mm -hmm. and do their work. So there's those that take a couple months. And then there's also the people that have done all their work. They've done it all. And they're in a really good place. Mm -hmm. And if they're in a really good place with attorneys that can really help them, 
that are compassionate and, and excel at, at what they're doing, one can get divorced in mm-hmm. a two month period of time and get divorced without mm-hmm. any added destruction. It's just the punctuation at the end of the sentence. That's for them exactly then. right. It's yeah. the punctuation at the end of the sentence. It's the attorneys just guiding them towards the legal documents that have to be done at a point that they're ready to have it done. Right. So yeah, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, in, in our field, likewise, you know, not to not not two marriage counselors are the same. Right. And so a lot of times we find that we have to educate people on what to look for, right? When they are seeking out any marital help. What would you what would you say to someone that is looking, you know, to get a divorce and they're seeking an attorney? What what should they be, you know, looking for? What considerations should they have? I, I think they probably should be first off before they even meet with any attorney, as I said before, they ought to talk to their friends or family the professionals that are in their life that are helping them in that period of time, which hopefully include counselors for recommendations because you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of attorneys out there and there's a lot of fancy websites. And what they really need is somebody with great expertise and just as great compassion Mm -hmm. more than anything. And if you can add the element that my firm is trying to be change agents on, which is making sure that the process is really client-driven and client-directed so that the legal part of the case is the last part and not the first part, I think they're going to find that the the process for them was much better than they ever anticipated. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I think those are the criteria that they need to look at. Right. You know, your, your firm is groundbreaking it, it is shifting things in, in, in the legal field. How do you educate the public on the differences right, that you provide your clients? And how do you get that word out there? One is a slow process, I think. <laughs> I, I have been meeting with therapists such as yourselves for the last couple of years. I started meeting with people in the religious community uh, more recently. The clients that we do have see the difference Mm -hmm. and they are quick to speak up as to that difference. We want to make sure that we're still doing things the best we know how. We want to be open and teachable too. So we do surveys after the client's case is over to find out what we did right and what we can still improve on. And I'm hoping that podcasts such as this would be another way of getting that word out there because it's hard. Anytime that you're doing something different than it's been done up till Mm now, it's, it's a matter of educating the public and once the public becomes more educated, it becomes clear, I think, mm-hmm. what's a better way. The real issue is, do they know you exist? Mm-hmm. I know this wasn't something that we had talked about as part of this interview, but I know that you've shared with me this idea of couple synergy. Mm-hmm. And I think that the two of you are groundbreaking <laughs> when it comes to coupling marriage mentorship along with counseling. I've never seen that before. And I know what marriage mentors can do for people. I know how helpful that would be. Mm -hmm. I've had them. They could be such a huge lifeline in helping people make their relationship better. When you have therapists that are also your marriage mentors, (laughs) that they're a couple and they understand the dynamics of couplehood Mm -hmm. and the challenges that couples face, 
And yet the male therapist is being able to walk with the husband in the marriage and process and, and, and guide and lead and teach. In addition to being a therapist, that's an outstanding approach. And I think that that's, again, it's cutting edge. I think that people will benefit when the news gets out there more and more that this exists and that it's a better way. And I think part of the reason, again, that we've had these discussions is because we both see that what each other are doing mm -hmm. can really make a difference. And we both have hearts to make a difference. Absolutely. I, I see this as a wonderful opportunity to really help people, you know, where it is needed, like severely needed. And I'm sure that, you know, like, like us, one of the biggest things that, you know, we all are trying or kind of up against is the stereotype, right? The stereotype of being a divorce attorney, the stereotype of being a marriage therapist. And, you know, the education of the public is not only about getting the word out there about what we do specifically and why it's different, but it is breaking through an already ingrained stereotype that society has, you know, of the two industries. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I'm, I'm trying to think if I've ever heard a therapist joke. <laughs> so I think I'm maybe sure we have more to break through <laughs> than your field. Uh, and, and I'm glad that, that your field doesn't have to, to overcome that. I'm, I'm saddened by the fact that our field does. Well, but, you know, marriage therapy is the least successful therapies of all the therapies out there and actually can contribute to divorce. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Yeah. I absolutely believe that. If, if it's not done by somebody with the right makeup, with the right emotional outlook, compassion, and true understanding of the dynamics, yeah, the marriage therapist... And, and to not take a side. The marriage therapist is in a critical role to either do a tremendous amount of help or a tremendous amount of damage. Correct. So your practice is in Barrington. We are. Illinois. Are you limited to practicing within your town, county, state? So attorneys are licensed by state, although I have worked on a case in Wisconsin. It was a custody matter, uh, Proac Vice, which just means that the court gave me a limited license to practice in that state. We are otherwise exclusively Illinois is the answer to your question. And we practice out of Cook County and the Collar County. So that's... DuPage and Kane and Lake and McHenry. Mm -hmm. Great. How can people get in touch with you? Well, they can either get in touch with us through the website, which is manassalaw.com. That's M-A-N-A-S-S-A-L-A-W.com. Or calling our office at 847-221-5511. Wonderful. Larry, one question for you here. What is your vision for the future? Well, I think my vision for the future, other than my, my, my firm's approach, which is mm -hmm. to try to be one of those difference makers, is I am also uh, working on starting a not-for-profit divorce crisis center that is a holistic approach consistent with the conversation we had today that will help equip people by bringing forth resources counselors that I'd be working in association with, such as yourselves, mm -hmm. support groups, workshops, self-growth materials, 
anything that would help people be able to heal and grow and take ownership of their part of, of the divorce. I learned long ago, I was part of a divorce recovery support group at a, at a local church. I was a table facilitator and sometimes teacher for eight years. And I saw hundreds of people per year because this workshop had approximately 250 to 300 individuals go through it three times a year. Mm -hmm. Make tremendous growth by taking ownership because really that was the nature of the workshop. The divorce recovery workshops have two parts to them generally. One is grief support, which is really important, but the other is ownership and, and working on the stuff that we brought to the table. So that that yep, backpack that we yeah. carry around on our back isn't quite so heavy and, and, and we don't repeat the same mistakes again, which we will otherwise. Right. And so my vision for the future is to be part of being an agent of change. In my mind at this point, that's through this idea of a divorce crisis center, which again is an accumulation of resources that will assist people by equipping people so that it will help people find that healing and prepare themselves for wherever life takes them at the point that we get them, which would be at a point of marital breakdown. Again, as I said before, and I'm repeating it, I think it'll save a lot of marriages. And I'm convinced that when the marriages aren't saved, these people are because they're in a position to be able to be ready for life after the divorce and not to repeat the same mistakes in the next relationship. Yeah, that's one of the things that that I you know tell my clients is that Divorce doesn't happen in a courtroom. It happens in your heart. And there are people that are legally divorced on a piece of paper and that marriage is going strong. They are they have so much energy and minutiae still towards that partner, even though it's very negative, that they haven't separated and they haven't cut that cord. And the same thing happens in the opposite direction, which I think is what you're saying is like get divorced emotionally first, then make it legal. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And your experience with individuals who many years later, was, we're still emotionally married and emotionally dysfunctionally married. Mm -hmm. It was probably the greatest motivation towards me wanting to be a change agent because after doing this for 25 years, I've spoken to so many people that have been divorced for 10 or 15 or even 20 years at this point and too many of them. It seems like the hurt and the pain and the resentment doesn't just last the 15, 20 years. It's almost as strong as it was 15 yeah. or 20 years later. And again, the attorney only can do one part of this. But if the attorney is the first person and just about only person that the person sees, that's a recipe for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And if indeed the attorney's not the first person they see, but the mental health provider is the first person they see, and they're willing to do their work and and use the resources that are available to them. It doesn't have to be that way. And I see those people, and I see them at the collaborative arena a lot, if anything, are more healed, even though they're getting divorced, in their relationship than they were before that process began. And I wouldn't, didn't even think I'd ever see that. Wouldn't it be great if we, the three of us and the fields that we work in, could improve that second marriage divorce rate. Like if the first marriage is, they stay around 45%. What if the second marriages could go down to like five? Cause they went through this big process and they learned so much from it that they know how to do it now. 
that would absolutely be the goal. I know you know this already, but the divorce rate for second marriages is much higher than the mm-hmm. first. Right. Right. For third, it's even higher than that. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it's really just a product of people not mm-hmm. taking advantage of the opportunity for change, their opportunity to own their own stuff, to work really hard on it, to heal mm-hmm. and get to a point and a place that they were never at before where that divorce rate could go down to five. Well, if you don't understand what you're doing in the first marriage, you're just going to repeat it in the second and third. Guaranteed. Right. Guaranteed. Except the baggage is going to be heavier. Yeah, you're going to be more scared because you know what could happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Larry, we really want to thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. This was very informative for us as well, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we didn't really know a lot of those statistics and to kind of hear what's going on 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 your side of the fence is is really important for us to know too, in order to be there fully for our clients. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I just thank you very much for the opportunity and opportunity to get the word out again, that Mm -hmm. there is a better way that hopefully we're not going to be the only ones that do it this way, that we're just the beginning of that trend, but the trend is there and it needs to be. And there's a healthier way for people to go through the divorce process. Absolutely. You know, we get wounded through relationship and we heal through relationship. And sharing stories is is how we've been able to bond and heal through since the beginning of time. And we thank you for coming over and sharing your part of the story. And we hope it's enriched your life and the lives of our listeners. Thank you very much. It's enriched mine. So thank you. I really appreciate it. For all you listening, remember, if you wanted to get in touch with Larry, it's manassalaw.com. And if you have any questions or topic suggestions for Couple Synergy, please feel free again to leave a comment or look us up online at couplesynergy.com. Till next time, synergize your life, synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.